Christians were being canceled by the culture around them. I don't just mean their Twitter accounts were being banned. I mean they were literally being canceled. They were being killed. They were being dragged out into arenas and publicly executed. I'm talking, of course, about the first century. And we may wonder, why was that happening? Why had things gotten so bad for Christians? Why did the culture around them turn against them to the point where they wanted to cancel them off the face of the earth? Well, there was a man named Nero who was king. Nero was the emperor of the Roman Empire. And Nero had a particular hatred against Christians. And Nero, historians tell us, may or may not have started a massive fire in Rome. And this fire raged for six straight days. It burned down people's homes, marketplaces, temples. And before the smoke had even cleared, Nero started a rumor that it was the Christ followers who started the fire. People were angry. Their homes, their marketplaces, their temples had burned to the ground and they wanted somebody to blame. And Nero said, blame the Christ followers. And so the culture turned against Christians. There was a place for them to go with all of their anger about the fire. And so they sought to cancel Christians by killing them. Now, today's scripture that we read just a few minutes ago was written right in the midst of that environment. And it's a letter from Paul to Timothy, giving instruction in how to live in a society, in an environment, in a culture that has turned against you. And in our society today, in 2021, this is something I'm hearing from Christians all over the place, we are starting to feel that our culture is turning against us. We no longer feel and enjoy the freedoms, maybe, that we once enjoyed. And so we might ask ourselves, how do we operate in a society, in a culture, in an environment that's beginning to turn against us? Well, today's scripture shows us exactly how to operate because Paul wrote this to Timothy in that environment where Nero and the entire culture around Christians were literally seeking to cancel them out. So how did they operate? How did they respond? Let's look to the scriptures today so we might find out how we might respond in a culture that is beginning to turn against Christ's followers. Verse 1. This is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, we could spend a long time unpacking each one of those. These are basically just different words for prayer. Paul says to us in how to operate in a culture that's turning against us, Paul says, first of all, the first thing I want you to do is pray. Pray. For who? For just ourselves to survive all of this? No, it says pray for all people. That's our first job as Christians, is to pray, pray, pray for all people, even those who you might think are trying to cancel you. Pray for them. Pray for them. 
You know what my first instinct is when I think about if somebody wants to come against me as a Christian? My first instinct, if I'm honest with you, is not to pray for them. But it's to resent them. It's to resent them. But God says through his word, pray. Pray for all people. Verse 2. Pray for kings and all who are in high positions. Pray for kings? You know who was king when Paul wrote this? Nero, the one who blamed the fire in Rome on Christians so that the culture would turn against them. Paul says to Timothy and God says to us, you have a corrupt king, you have a corrupt leader, you have people in high positions who you don't trust, pray for them. Pray for them. Why, why would he have us pray for leadership in a culture that's turning against Christianity? Well, it's because of what it says in verse 5. There's one God. And there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. There is one God. This is a good reminder. What this is saying here is that there are many kings, there are many emperors, there are many Caesars, but there is one God. There are many kings. Kings will come and go, but there is a king of kings. And when we appeal to him through this mediator, Jesus Christ, we are going to the highest authority possible in the land. You have a problem with your local governing authority? Go to the authority of authorities. The king of kings, whose sovereign plans are over all kings and nations and Caesars and emperors and presidents. We pray through this mediator. We have this mediator, Jesus Christ. We don't need another mediator. We don't need Congress. We don't need the Senate. We don't need to vote him out of office next time. We have the media. We have access to the king of all kings because of Jesus Christ. Do you realize what power and authority we have? You live in a society that's corrupt. Pray to the king of kings. We have access through the mediator, Jesus Christ. Sometimes I think we forget. We get really insecure about our position in society because we think the authority has to come from our local governing authorities, but we have the authority above authorities. We pray to the king of kings. And why are we called to pray instead of resent? Why are we called to pray for all people, to pray for kings? Halfway through verse 2. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Godly and dignified in every way. There's peace that comes to us when we pray for people. I said a moment ago that my instinct would be to simply resent somebody who's trying to cancel me. But in reality, because of human nature, because of sinful nature, because of how we operate in our flesh, what we really want to do, if we're being honest, is we just want to cancel them back. Don't we? I see heads nodding. You boycott my company, I'll boycott your company. You cancel my favorite thing, I'll cancel yours. And it's tit for tat, and it's eye for an eye, and it's tooth for tooth. And pretty soon we're battling the very culture that God has placed us in. That's not from the Bible. The Bible says pray for those people. 
Pray for those kings. Pray for those leaders. Because that's the way of peace. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. If it's eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, cancel for cancel, we're at war. But when we pray, we have peace. And what do we do with that peace? Verse 4. Uh, verse 3. This is good. And it's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You see, we pray for the culture around us because it brings us peace, but it also allows us to be witnesses to the truth. We're not very good witnesses if we're just battling everybody around us. We have a truth to tell. We have a gospel to share. We are witnesses in this place. We can't really witness to people that we're canceling in return for them canceling us. No, we pray for them and we love them and we share the truth. I love this, the truth. We don't share our truth. This is my truth. What's your truth? We share the truth. Yes, thank you. That's right here, guys. You're clapping for the Bible, not me. The truth. And what is the truth that we have to share when we are people of peace, when we are people who pray and bless the culture around us? What's the truth? Verse 5, there's one God. There's one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Do you know what a ransom is? This is, this, is our, this is the truth that we're sharing. This is our message of the truth that we share with the culture around us. That Jesus Christ is a ransom for all. Do you know what that word ransom means? A ransom is the price paid to free somebody from captivity. Picture some captors taking a person and imprisoning them. And they've got this person captive. And they call up the person who knows or loves this, this captive person. And they say, we'll release this person to you if you pay the ransom price. And if the person is willing to pay the price, if they love this person enough, they will pay that price to the captors and the captor will go free. Jesus Christ, it says right here, this is the truth that we proclaim in our culture. Jesus Christ is the ransom for all. What this means is that sin has affected all of us. It's taken all of us captive. Our hearts and our, our, our minds and our bodies are held captive by sin. And Jesus looks at all of us in our captivity to sin and he says, I'll pay the ransom price. And do you know what the ransom price is to set us free from sin? It's his very own life. That's how much he loves us. He says, my life for theirs. I will die so that they can go free. That's what it means that Jesus Christ is the ransom. That's the message we have to share. That's the truth that we share in this culture that we can only share if we're people of peace and love and blessing, not of war with them. That Jesus Christ is the ransom. And that's what we do with our freedom the freedom that he's given us because he's paid the ransom price, that is a freedom that nobody could ever take away from us. That's not a freedom even given to us by our constitution or by any nation that we live in on earth. That's a freedom that's given to us because Jesus Christ is the ransom. He's paid the price to set us free from our captivity to sin. Nobody can take that away from us. 
Do you think Paul and Timothy living in the Roman Empire were looking for political freedom? They were being persecuted all the day long, but they had a freedom knowing that the ransom for their souls had been paid. And what did they do? What do we do with our freedom? Oh, ransomed ones. Well, we're called to go back out into this society, even a society that's turning against us, and we're called to, to, to bless it, to be people of blessing, truth-tellers who bless it. Our instinct is to resent and retreat. Resent and retreat. I resent those people, those secularists, those people coming against Christianity, those people trying to cancel me. I resent them. I don't want to cancel them back, and I'm going to retreat. I'm going to move to that community where there's more people who think and worship and talk and look like me. I'm going to retreat into my enclave. But God doesn't call us to resent and retreat. He calls us to pray and pursue. To pray and pursue. You know what he told his people way back in Jeremiah? This is a scripture written on the front of your bulletin. The people of God were, were taken captive. They were political prisoners. And they were being hauled off, literally hauled off, into exile. And look what God instructed them to do in Jeremiah 29, verse 7. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. <laughs> that's an amazing line. You're being sent into exile. You're being brought into this city that's against you. You're, you're exile in this city. And God says, seek the welfare of that city. Bless that city. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. That's a little different than resent and retreat. That's go into the city, go into the culture, go into the community, go into the country that's trying to cancel you and pray for them and bless them. And try to bring things into that city, try to bring things into that society that will make it a better place. That's our calling as Christians. Not to retreat, but to pray and to pursue, to pray and to press in. This is why I'm so excited to get back in Stamford, worshiping once again. This city that, that's largely secular. Most people, according to statistics in Stamford, aren't regular churchgoers. We could just retreat from that and say, let, let these cities kind of go off into secularism. We could retreat from them. But no, we're called even in these cities that are turning against God to, to press in, to pursue, and to bless, and to, and to create programs that bless people, that help people to worship, to connect people with God. I can't wait to get back in Stanford on Sundays and worship God, connecting people with their creator. And not only on Sundays, connecting people with their creator, but we have this expanding vision for our Stanford initiative where we want to open up a community space Monday through Sunday where people can connect with God on Sundays and they can connect with one another Monday through Saturday because if we've learned anything from this last year, it's that isolation destroys community, destroys society, destroys our souls. 
So we want to press in. We want to go back into Stanford and create a space, a community space where people can connect with God. They can connect with one another. We can begin reweaving the fabric of society so that we can be people of peace, living lives of dignity as we pray and pursue. Not only that, with this new initiative that's burgeoning and bubbling up among the leadership of this church, we want to figure out a way actually to come alongside these, these brothers of ours at Pivot Ministries who are sitting right up here in the front. Because we've been doing life with these guys for the last few years, and we're kind of falling in love with them. We love you guys. We love you guys. And one of the things that we're seeing is that sometimes when a Pivot student, by the way, if you're new here and you don't know, Pivot is a re men's recovery program. Guys come in with uh, addictions and with a past and with... Um, you know, unemployment and broken relationships, and Pastor Richard brings them in, and they get rehabilitated, they get connected with Christ, and then they graduate, and they get sent back out into society. And one of the things that we've noticed over the years is that some of the men, they cycle back into addiction, partly because they can't land long-term jobs. And we want to come alongside them and help with that. We think with this new initiative that's burgeoning up in the leadership of our church, we want to connect people with God on Sundays. We want to connect people with each other Monday through Saturday. And we want to employ at least one pivot graduate a year who can come work for us. You guys like that? Because that's what it means to seek the welfare of the city where I have called you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf or in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Christians, this is our response to a culture that's starting to turn against Christianity. We don't resent and retreat. We pray and we pursue. We pray for all people. We pray for the kings and presidents and senators and people in high positions. We pray for them. We're appealing to the king of all kings, the authority above all earthly leadership. And we seek the welfare of the city by building into people's lives in real material ways. You're going to hear more about this Stanford vision in the coming weeks. I invite you all to pray with me. Pray with church leadership. God's going to supply. God's already supplying exactly what we need for. This is not a fundraising pitch. I'm not asking for that. I'm asking for your, for your prayers, your prayers, your spiritual participation in this project where we bless this city right in our backyard, Stanford. Because that's what we're called to do. That's actually how we change the world. That's how we follow Christ. We don't try to cancel them back. We bless. We pray. We pursue. We press in. That's what makes us different. And it brings us peace. And it proclaims the truth in a world that so desperately needs it. And it brings repair. So who's in with me on this? Yes. Amen. This is our call. This is our call. Let's go to the table.